0: right, good morning, everyone. It's uh, lovely to to see you this morning and be able to share for a moment or two. Uh, We're continuing our sermon series through the book of Acts, and we're looking at uh, at normal church. And so we have two passages um, this morning, two short passages, six verses at the end of Acts chapter two and six verses at the end of Acts chapter four. And we've already seen that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the followers of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? The Holy Spirit, God himself, has come to live in the lives of his people. So not only has uh, God seen us uh, just lost in sin, dead in sin, in selfishness and rebellion and all the mess that comes along with that. And he himself has stepped into our world to save us. He has paid the price for our sin. He died that we might go free. Now he comes to live within us. It's an incredible, incredible message. And we've seen the Holy Spirit being poured out on God's people. And uh, and, and Peter, as we saw last week, had had stood up to explain what's going on. Uh, People have responded to that uh, message. And now we get these two little snippets, these little insights into what it was like uh, in in the early church, what it was like to be part of this community of people where God comes to live within our hearts. What does that look like? And the title for the message you might have seen on the weekly news is A Loving Community. And I want us to sort of explore that and unpack that a little bit in the next few minutes. To help us get going... Uh, I want you to think for a moment or two about a time when you joined a new group. When you joined, a, perhaps it was a joining a new club. Maybe you took up uh, a keep fit class or you joined the golf club or a pottery group or, or you know whatever else it might be. Maybe you moved areas, maybe it's a new school or a new place of work, but a new community. What was it like as you started that new group? You entered into a new community. Uh, Because every group has its way of operating, doesn't it? The sort of unsaid rules of how they go about doing things. Uh, What what was that like? Just place yourself in that. Because this is a new community. And we're going to explore what is it like. I I, I think of of one example. Um, Think of my poor, long-suffering wife. Think of Heather having to join the Ellishaw family. Just place yourself in that position for a moment. How dreadful for her. So she had, she, she was kind of welcomed into, into the family. I remember when we were sort of going out or courting or whatever. I remember she came around uh, and, uh, and there was just me and my two brothers who were who were in. And uh, how would we spend our evening? I wonder if Michael can remember this. We, uh, we played darts. We had a dartboard in our front room which had this sort of wooden backdrop that we'd made. And made is a strong word. (laughs) We'd found and placed it on. And we played darts. And we had to go all the way around the board in doubles in order. And we couldn't couldn't stop until we'd completed it. That was the sort of challenges we used to set ourselves. Because we were that sort of exciting children. (laughs) Exciting brothers. And after that, we played a game on the games console called The Weakest Link. Which was based loosely around the TV show, and you work together to build up the prize, and then at the end of each round, you vote somebody off. And after the end of the first round, we voted Heather off. <laughs> she got a question wrong, she was holding us back. <laughs> What's it like joining a new community? Stepping into a new situation, a new group. What, what what does that look like? That's what we're exploring as we see this new church uh, appear. Let me read the, the passages for us. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So the 3,000 have just become Christians and been baptised. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then just turn over the page. We'll look at chapters 3 and 4 in the weeks to come. But again, another little snapshot into what this new church community was like. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet okay there's there's, uh, there's there's lots here in these verses about what this new community is going to look like. It's clearly a very loving community but but what does that mean? Love's a word we use a lot but 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 we've sort of the meaning of it is quite slippery. I, I love eating a Mars bar. And I love my mum, but those two things are not the same. So, so let's, let's just try and, 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 and unpack it a little bit. And I want to look at two things. I want to suggest that this is a worshipping community, That that part of what makes it so loving is it's a worshipping community and it's a sacrificing community. And we'll just try and unpack those two things. First of all, it's a worshipping community. Let's Just remind ourselves where we see that in the text. Acts 4.33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. 2.46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They brought bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. This is a a, a group of people who gather around and their focus is, is worshiping. Now, when I say worshiping, I don't just mean singing. And I know we know this, singing is really important. It's beautiful. It's a lovely and valuable and key component of our time together. As we as we praise together, as we speak truth into our own lives and encourage others as we sing, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But worship is more comprehensive than just our singing together, as important as that is. Worship is is having the Lord as our center, as our focus. And that will spill out into how we how we relate to people, how we relate to friends and family and enemies, how we operate our finances and our time, how we work, the decisions we make. Is is all, all what I mean in as I say worship. And this is a, a, a fellowship, this is a community that, that devote themselves to, to that sense of worship and I love what's going on just just to notice verse forty two chapter two verse forty two I, I love what happens here so three thousand people have just given their lives to jesus that they've just been saved they've come together at Pentecost and they come together one of the the, the outflows have been saved is that we want to come together to come together it's really important you know we we, we have I, it made sometimes following Jesus about Jesus and me. In the New Testament, it's nearly always Jesus and us, Jesus and you and me. It's not a privatized thing. And, and I love that they come together, and it isn't a case of, wow, Pentecost was wonderful, Let's try and do that again. Let's reenact that. Where's the nearest balcony, and we'll see if we can do that again tomorrow. But, but they, they come together, and there's such humility. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They want to learn. They want to learn. There's a humility there. They've seen people filled with God, and rather than being filled and thinking, that's I'm satisfied, that's great, they're filled, and they want more. They want more. They want to know him more. They want to, to love others more. There's this humility. Part of of, of a worshipping lifestyle is humility. And I think that's so incredible. They want to seek him in prayer. They want to know his work in the lives of others. Christy will unpack that verse a little bit more later on in this series. So a worshipping community is, is a community that is humble, that wants to learn that desires to know more. It's also a united community. I wonder wonder what you felt as we read through those verses together. One of the things that really stood out to me was just this sense of unity, the sense of togetherness, as well as a sense of humility. There's a real uh, kind of gathering together. Uh, And and that's really special. I want to read you something that uh, A.W. Tozer wrote. He said this, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshippers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God and strive for closer fellowship. I, I, I like what Tozer is, is saying there. That As we come together, it's that same idea that we, we have the Lord as, as our centre. He's at the object. He's the reason we're together. It's about him. It's for him. It's for his glory. And unity comes more as he takes his rightful place. If our our object is just unity, they will tend to compromise when issues come up because we need to be united rather than we we need to to have the Lord as the centre, as the focus. This is a a community that's worshipping. It has the Lord at the centre. There's a humility to put him first. There's a, a, a unity that flows from that as well. And the third part of being a a, a worshipping community is just the wholeheartedness of what's going on here. Verse forty-six every day every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They brought bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number uh, added to their number daily, those who were being saved. This is a community that meets together regularly. There's a wholeheartedness. In fact, they meet at this point every day. They meet together every day. And, and, and I love the ha- even just the detail of how we get there. They meet in the temple courts in a big space, a chance for, for a bigger group to meet together, to to share together. But then they meet in people's homes as well, in a smaller setting, in a more intimate setting, a more relatable setting. So they do things where they they kind of learn and worship and grow together. But they also have opportunities to be known and to share and to speak in smaller groups. We might think we're quite creative uh, here as a church because we meet together in a big group on a Sunday. And then through the week, we meet in smaller groups as we serve together, maybe at grief share or divorce care or tea cakes and tots or music and memories or carer support group or whatever it is, we might be serving together or it might be in a connect groups, literally in a home. But this is how the church has been off operating for 2,000 years. And so it's something big, but there's also an ch- opportunity for something small. But either way, there's this wholehearted uh, approach where the people of the community come together regularly. And if we want to cultivate a community of love, there's going to be a part of that which is about showing up. There's going to be a part of that is about being together. It's a worshipping community. Secondly, it's a A sacrificing community or a sacrificial community. Let me read a couple of verses to see where I'm getting that from. And then we'll try and just unpack it a little bit. 2.44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Uh, 432 All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Verse 33 There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who had uh, owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the disciples' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Right. So does, does that mean then, if we're part of the church, if we're part of this community, spirit-filled community, that the right thing to do is to take what we own and sell it and bring it to ALT and say to John Carter and to James Whiteman and to Caroline and Vicky and Phil and Derek, this is all this money and I'm trusting you to give it to those who have need. Well, well no, <laughs> not quite. As we continue to read through the New Testament it's clear that that not everybody is selling all of their homes the church meet in homes um even in these very passages the church is meeting in people's homes so not everybody is selling all of their possessions and that's not something that's 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 asked of everybody however however we don't want to miss what we're looking at here either and it's really clear that being part of a community, a fellowship, a church that really loves each other, that there's a practical outwork into that that involves sacrifice. Sacrifice is, is, sacrifice is all about love, and love is all about sacrifice. Love always has a cost. Love always has a cost. 1 John 3, 16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Love always comes at a cost. And I, I think what's going on here is that this church, this, this early church, remember we, a couple of weeks ago we saw that these are people from lots of different places. There's 15 different nations mentioned. This isn't a group of people who all look the same or sound the same or come from the same culture or dress the same. it's, it's It's a real mixture of people who've heard the gospel. Presumably some from lots of those different groups have responded. Now they're in Jerusalem and they want to learn more about what it is to follow Jesus. But they only went there for Pentecost. They don't have anywhere to live. They don't have, they haven't brought the resources to stay kind of medium, long term. So local Christians, say, I have the resources to meet this need and I'm going to do it. I have the practical resources to meet that practical need. So I'm going to to do it. And it comes at a cost. To sell your, to sell your property for the benefit of somebody else is a sacrifice. It comes at a big cost. And, and, and that's what I think is going on here. The, 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 there's an opportunity to show love and the church takes it or certain individuals in the ter- church take it and they sacrifice what they have for the benefit and blessing of others cause love involves sacrifice i, re- I remember when our children were were slightly younger uh, there were times occasions when they didn't always sleep through the night uh, when they were babies and uh, and there's a there's a crying in the night and and, and as part of me might have thought, did think, um, that, you know, I'm I'm already tired. I'm so tired. This is pushing me to the edge, physically, emotionally, in every way. There's work, there's lots going on. I just want to roll over and and go back to sleep. And I did. (laughs) Heather, however... Heather, however, couldn't. She couldn't because she was compelled by love. She had this overpowering sense of love that led her to sacrifice to, to, the, to the edge, as it were, because she love loves those children. And and love is involved in sacrifice. Love costs. And and, and, and if we want to be part of a church. If we want to be part of a loving community, we all want to be part of a loving community. That's something we want. But if we're going to be part of a loving community, it's going to come at a cost. There's a sacrifice involved in that. It's not just warm, fuzzy feelings. Love isn't just warm, fuzzy feelings. In fact, seldom is it, I suspect. Love comes at a a, a cost. If we want to be part of of a loving fellowship... it's, it's going to involve showing up when it's easier not to. It just is. It's going to be times where you just don't want to come to church. You just don't want to go to Connect Group. You don't want to. And you turn up anyway. We just have to... There's a sacrifice involved. There's a sacrifice... A, it's easier not to share, but I'm going to do it in an appropriate way, in an appropriate setting. There's a sacrifice involved. As we as we come towards landing this, the last two verses that Luke gives us, Acts chapter 4, verse 36 to verse 37. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned. And brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas is going to play a significant role in the book of Acts going forward. And and, and Luke introduces him here because he's going to kind of be an example of what we've looked at. Uh, Somebody who who lives that lifestyle of worship in a sense that he, he puts the Lord first and he puts others first. There's a sacrifice involved in how he operates. He sells the field. He sells something that belongs to him and he gives it to others. And part of his character is that he's going to be an encourager. And I think there's something really important about putting that in here for Luke, that he, this early community, this early church is one that's going to encourage each other. That encouragement's going to be really important. And I wonder if we can take that ourselves, that we can be those who encourage each other. That we can be those who look out to encourage each other. That, that, that somebody who, who can see not just how things affect us, though that's important, but to see what others are doing as well. To see the, 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 the role that others are playing and the, the, the sacrifice that others are putting in. I want to share, in a very, very short, just three practical things about encouragement that I'm sure you already know, but I'm going to say them anyway. First of all, this week, let's look for opportunities to encourage. Let's be proactively looking for opportunities to encourage, to see what's happened, uh, and and can we encourage somebody in it? I used to say to to my team at Cape Marie when I I had the interns, I used to say, if something's gone well, thank somebody, because things don't go well by themselves. If something you know if if you've been a part of something and there's been something good about it, is there somebody we can thank and encourage? Look for opportunities. Secondly, be authentic. This might sound a bit silly or even funny, but I want you to, to, to weigh it up. Only encourage what is good. Only encourage if it's real. And I know it's a bit silly. I'll use a silly example. I'm not musical at all, as you well know. If I started playing the violin, it would be awful. It wouldn't be good for you to say, that's great, Ian. Well, it'd be great if you could do that in front of lots of people. (laughs) That's not loving to me, and it's not loving to lots of people. And I am being funny, but I I am being sincere. Encouragement's meaningful when it's true. And, if, and, 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 and and while we can go to one extreme and not encourage at all, we can go to the other extreme and encourage what, what isn't right or what isn't good. We, we, if we're going to love each other well, let's encourage honestly. And then thirdly and lastly, um, and this I think is, is suspect for, for people very much like me uh, or people from <laughs> probably from the north of England, when we encourage, let's not, take it back with the next comment. And I, I know I'm talking to myself. Th- things like, Ian, that was a great sermon. It was the best one I've heard this morning. Now, I enjoy stuff like that. I enjoy, I, I love humor and things like that. But but when we, as we seek to encourage each other, this isn't about people at the front. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about as a body, as a community, as a, as a fellowship, looking and seeing each other. As we encourage, don't encourage and then take it back with the next comment. Because then we walk away and we think, well, was the first one even real? Let's be sincere. There's, there's time, we love joking. We love humor. There's lots of time for that. But when we're seeking to encourage, do it wholeheartedly. Do it properly. Do it without taking it back. Bless you. Let's, let, let, let's, let's close. Let's close. We're seeing that this is a loving community. That means it's a community that's centred around the, 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 the person of Jesus. It's centred around him. It's, a, it's one that, where, where it revolves around him. It's a worshipping community. And it's a sacrificial one. It's one where we're willing to pay a price, to pay the cost, to, to love each other. And so as we close, I'm, go, I'm going to pray and it strikes me that perhaps there's two, two things we need to consider. The first is that we can't be these people unless God comes to live within us. Unless God enables us, how can we love like this? And so we're going to ask that the Lord will help us with that. that he'll, he'll fill us afresh with his spirit. That we can't do this on our own. But God is gentle and kind as well as powerful and strong. And, 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 and we can, Paul says to the Thessalonians, doesn't he? He says, do not quench the spirit. We can resist what God wants to do. We can seek to, to, to get in the way of it. And so while we need to ask that God would do it, we also need to be aware that the decisions we make are important. The priorities we have are important. We can help or we can get in the way of what God wants to do and so we have a responsibility. Let's let's pray and then Dave and the and the band behind me will help us close the service. Let's pray. Father Lord, we thank you so much for this incredible gospel that we have. Lord that that you not only Uh, see us, but that you see the problem of sin and have come to solve it, to sort it out, to pay the price. You pay the price on our behalf that we can know freedom and forgiveness and hope and grace and restoration. Thank you that you didn't just, just save us, but you come to live within us by your spirit. And Father, I pray for, for us corporately and individually, Lord. I pray for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we, we invite you again into our lives. We acknowledge, Lord, that, that we, we can't do it by ourselves, nor do we want to. But We want to embrace what it is to have the Lord of, Lord of heaven living in our hearts and we pray for a fresh filling of, of your spirit. And Father, I pray that in the, in the day-to-day decisions of life, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage and help and strength we need to choose you. Father, that we would, we would do a good job of loving you and loving others. And Lord, as, as we do that, Father, as, as you at work within us, I pray, Lord, that you would add to our number those who are being saved. That, that, that the quality of, of life and relationship we have with you would draw uh, others into your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.